0: Good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. My name is... Uh Austin. I'm a pastor here, and if this is your first time here, thank you for coming. We're excited you're in the room. Uh, This is going to be a fun time to worship Jesus, open up the Bible, sing to Him, and uh, so I'm excited you're here. We're in our core team phase right now, which essentially means that we're building a foundation to becoming a Jesus-centered, Bible-loving church. Uh, And so in this season for a core team, for the next two months, uh, we're going to study God's Word. We're going to gather together. We're going to build community in city groups. uh, We're going to eat together. Trust me, we're going to eat together a lot. And uh, and we're going to work on the building. We're going to pray. I mean, all this stuff. We're going to engage our neighborhood. And uh, and, and again, we're going to pray that Jesus would make this a church that loves His Bible, that exalts Him. And uh, so I'm pretty excited, man. This Thursday, uh, we'll show some pictures later on. But uh, we did a trunk or treat. So as I'm talking about engaging our neighborhood, we don't just want to be a church uh, that just gathers on Sundays and that's kind of it. And we're just a big crowd. And we're excited. We want to be a, a family that actually reaches out and brings more people into this family. Amen. Like so, this Thursday we got to see that. And um, we did a trunk or treat There was like 25 people that decorated their trunks. It was amazing. There were some really cool things, games. Some were kind of scary. There was a person who was a taco. It was awesome. I was Superman. You'll see the picture later. It was fun. Anyways, and there was like, I think around 150 to 200 kids that came through. It was incredible. Some of them just wanted more Reese's Pieces. So we didn't blame them. We just kept giving them. Uh, Anyways, it was awesome. Uh, And so this morning, we're going to be in the book of Hosea. So if you guys want to flip to in your Bibles to Hosea, now don't try and act like you know exactly where Hosea is, okay? You know you're going to go to table contents. I do the class like flip like where is it oh there it is. okay yeah so anyways go to Hosea we'll be there if you guys can find it I guess <laughs> uh I got it marked out so I'm, I'm already there but hey I'll ask you guys a question uh have has God ever asked you to do something that's really difficult okay has God ever asked you to do something really difficult? Well, about seven months ago, uh, my wife and I, we uh, just bought a house in Omaha. So we're excited. We move in. It's great. We're super pumped. We get the keys. We're excited. She's a first grade teacher. I was the worship director at City Light Church in Omaha. Uh, we loved our jobs. We loved our friends. We loved our city and we loved our church. And everything's going great until uh, the City Light pastors and elders came to me and said, hey, Austin, uh, we want to invite you into praying about uh, planting City Light church in Lincoln. And I kind of leaned in and said, ah, you you want to tell me something? Like, are you guys smoking something, drinking something? Like, what's going on? You know, it's kind of like crazy thing. I'm 24 years old. My wife and I have been married for a year and a half. And for most of my ministry, I've served as a worship leader. I'm like, I mean, I'm fully unequipped. I'm not right. What, what What do you mean? And we love our house. We love our jobs. We love Omaha. What do you mean you want me to go and plant this church? And so, man, it was really, really hard. And so, I uh, called my wife, told her about it. She hung up, and I haven't seen her since, but uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am totally kidding. She's right here. She's beautiful, uh, but um, but uh, so from that, man, it, we we prayed. Man, she cried for about a week straight, and uh, it was a tough season for us, man, and to be completely honest to you guys, our first inclination was to say no. We really didn't think we were gonna come. And uh, so we're praying through it. And uh, when we loved everything we are doing in Omaha, God was using us faithfully. And, um, and so uh, we, we hadn't even paid our first mortgage, by the way, on our house yet. Like that's how soon it was that they had asked us to do this. So it was crazy. And as much as I wanted to cling on to what was easy and comfortable and clear, God just kept reminding me that there are 30,000 college students in our city. In in Lincoln, Nebraska, and and twenty nine thousand of them aren't plugged into a church or a college ministry. So that means that twenty nine thousand college students are running after life and pursuing joy and things that ultimately won't give them joy. Like only Jesus gives us joy, right? Like ultimate joy. And so that's twenty nine thousand souls that Jesus cares about and Jesus wants to invite into His family. That's twenty nine thousand people that are future engineers, doctors, pastors, people that can impact the world and go share God's news. That's twenty nine thousand people that we should care about if we care about God and his mission, right? And then he kept reminding me, and he showed me that there's 20,000 refugees in our city, okay? So um, this is 20,000 people that in their home countries, Jesus and the gospel and the Bible are mostly illegal. And these people are coming to Lincoln to find a temporary refuge, and we can show them there's an eternal refuge in Jesus, amen? So that's, so I mean, oh, he's laying all this stuff in my heart. I'm like, no, God, and I'm staying up at night, and I can't fall asleep, and I'm turning, and and I just I felt like, man, God, I, I don't know what to do. And so it, although it was super, super difficult, I knew that it would be worth it. And so Kristen and I, we go to Mo and Colleen. We tell them, hey, we're in. We're going to plant this church. We're so excited. So the next day, my wife quits her job. And then that night, we found out see, she's pregnant. <laughs> and the very next day a guy from our church comes in and says hey uh, we want to buy your house we've been looking at how we looking at houses similar we asking price just for whatever you want to sell it to they bought our house a few days later put an offer in at a home in lincoln um and they accepted and then uh, about a week or so later we left to thailand for a month my pregnant wife eight weeks we leave to thailand and uh and just do mission work there we come back two weeks later move everything we have to lincoln nebraska uh, and totally trusting God to provide. And City Light, man, it was hard. Like there was some hard goodbyes. There was tears shed. And as I drove away from our cute little neighborhood, I just remember just kind of Jesus reminding me, Austin, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And you know what happened? This. Like, this happened. Like, there are real people in Lincoln, Nebraska that now have a home to meet in, to gather, to study His Word, a gospel-centered community that loves each other, that loves this city and wants to go out. Every Thursday night, there's 50 refugee children that come in and meet here and study the Bible. There, uh, uh, there are over t- uh, 200 college students involved in our church on Sunday mornings. There's 80 college students that come every Tuesday night to City Light U to study God's Word and to sing His praise. Man, the neighborhood's been engaged. People are coming to Christ. People want to get baptized. There's crazy things that are happening here. And, and as I look to see all that Jesus has done, I would have been crazy to, not, to, to just choose the easy route and the comfortable route, Right? Like, I would, have, I would have given up all that Jesus has done in this family if I would have given to my comfort. Man, Pastor Mel and Colleen, they've given up a ton. He sacrificed, he quit his steady job and he called his family into planting this church. Not knowing who Jesus would bring, not, not knowing this building would be ours, nothing. We'd had no idea where we would meet, what we would do. We just knew that we had a vision and we wanted to reach people with Jesus. And, and he did it. God has been so, so faithful And so throughout the entire Bible, God calls his people to these crazy circumstances. We see this theme of God's people starting to become blind um, to his provisions and deaf to his promises, okay? So people are like, they're forgetting about the goodness of God, and they're going and worshiping other things. And so God, though he could turn away in anger, he calls people to these crazy circumstances to open the blind eyes of these people, right? So he does that through so many people in the Bible, and I don't know what God has called you to that you, that you thought of as I asked that question. What, what's difficult that God's called you? I don't know what it is, but I'm willing to bet that it pales in comparison to what God called Hosea to do. And so look at the story, Hosea chapter one, verse two. Let's start it. When the Lord first uh, spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, okay, let's stop here. <laughs> This is the very first time God speaks to Hosea, okay? So Hosea is a prophet. Now, prophets were people that God would speak to in order to speak to his people, okay? So God tells Hosea something. He's kind of a messenger. He uses, God uses him as the mouthpiece and Hosea goes and tells people, right? So that's kind of how it works. Hosea is a good, faithful man. And, And just think of this time, all right? So let's put ourselves in Hosea's place. We're like excited, we're pumped about what God's going to call us into. We're eager. We're like, "Man, what's my mission? Where are you going to call me to? Am I going to go am I going to split the Red Sea? Like is there going like, to be a huge thing? Am I going to free a bunch of people from slavery? Like that sounds pretty fun. Ooh, no, maybe I know I'm pretty good with rocks. I got kind of got a strong arm. So maybe I'll like sling a rock at a giant and he'll die. Like I don't know, something like that. Or or maybe I'll be the smartest uh and most uh influential man uh, in the early history, and I'll build a huge temple. Like, maybe, maybe that's what I'll do, and, and here's what God calls him to do, and, and verse 2 continued. He says, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. I'd be like, What guy? Am I hearing you right? Did you? I don't know. That word—that word's even okay to say in church, right? And so I'm going through. I'm like, man, are you sure? And I know, man. I feel like I want to be like David or like Solomon or like I don't know, Jonathan or somebody else. I just want to be. I want to do something big and something exciting. And you're saying that my mission is to marry a prostitute, a wife of whoredom. Like, what? What do you mean? And I know that in my sinful, entitled heart that I would push back and fight that. No, that seems way too difficult. And this this woman, this wife uh, of whoredom, she's an unfaithful woman that's probably mixed up in prostitution. She's a woman outcast by society and a woman that's probably hard to love. But that's God's call for Hosea. And look what he does in verse three. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Man, what trust that it would have taken To marry an unfaithful woman. Wild. So, my first point for this morning, I only have two. My first one is that God isn't calling you into something easy. Okay? God isn't calling you into something easy. And so, here's a lie that I think a ton of us fall into. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're just checking out Jesus and checking out this church, I think that many of us believe that God is inviting us into getting a college degree graduating, uh, getting a job, get married, have a couple kids, uh, give a little bit of our salary, attend church regularly, have grandkids, retire in our 60s, and then move to Arizona or Florida, right? Like that's our, that, that's a good life, man. You got to do that, wow, you've made it. And none of that is inherently bad. None of that is inherently bad. Trust me, I'm like, God, if you want to call me to Arizona, I will go quick, right? But, but it's a lot warmer than this. But, um, all that to be said, I think if it, if those things start to become our sole pursuit in life, I think it can distract from what God really has for us. Does that make sense? So there's a tendency in us to think, man, I've lived a good life. I'm a fairly good person. And so I go to church. So obviously God's going to give me an easy hand and and I'm just going to live an easy life. But that idea is completely stomped out by Hosea's story, right? Hosea is a good man and God calls him to marry a prostitute. And we, and we might say, okay, God, well, well, you're probably just testing Hosea, and then things will get better and get a little bit easier, right? Like, you'll love Hosea, and then she'll just blossom and become way, way better, and, you know, she'll, she'll be faithful, she'll be trusting, she'll make chocolate chip pancakes every Saturday morning. Like, I can just see it. That's what's going to happen, right? But let's see if it does. Look at, look at chapter, um, the rest of chapter one. Man, they have a son named Jezreel. And that was for sure Hosea's son because it said that she bore him a son. But then in verse 6, it says that she bore a daughter. So it doesn't say she bore him a daughter, but she bore a daughter. And in verse uh, 6, it said, or in verse 8, it says she conceived and bore another son, So Hosea wasn't sure if the son and daughter were actually his or not. So he didn't, I mean, in, in that language, that's what it would imply. And so God had Hosea name those two last children, no mercy and not my people, because Gomer had actually been unfaithful and they were probably kids with somebody else. How much would that hurt? Like, this is the opposite of comfortable. This is the opposite of easy. I mean, how hard would it be to love a wife that's unfaithful? How difficult would it be for us to parent kids that we don't even know if they're ours or not? But Hosea trusted God and did exactly as he told him. And so, listen, don't let comfort be your primary pursuit in life. Because if it is, I think you can totally miss what God is inviting you into. God will invite you into difficult situations, and I'm pleading with you don't waste your life. The goal of your life isn't to get a nice job, pay off your house, send cute Christmas cards out on time, and retire early. God has a story written for you that is far more beautiful and amazing than any comfortable plan that you could dream of. And so, I also want to press into the importance of prayer, so this whole chapter one, really the whole book of uh, Hosea, God is speaking, and Hosea is listening. He says, "Hey, go marry a prostitute, okay, hey, name your kid Jezreel, all right, no mercy, not my ch- not my people and he goes, and he does that right like so Hosea turns his ear, God speaks, and Hosea responds and In American culture today, we hear so many different voices coming out, so many different thoughts, so many different sales. You're the most important person. Get better, try harder, buy bigger, spend more, just do more, right? And so today I know, trust me, I know that it's hard to hear God's voice in the midst of all of that, but that's exactly why we need to be people that love to pray. And how beautiful is it that the God that created the stars in the sky, that placed them there, the God that formed the sun, the God that formed our bodies, everything like that, that he wants to speak to us, That he wants to hear from us. That's wild to me. And so I don't want us to just think that prayer is a mundane obligation that Christians have to do. It's a beautiful privilege if we take advantage of it. And so here's what I'm guilty of. I got something going on, and I know I got a couple options, and so I I know I need to pray about it and ask God what I should do. And so um, I'll go to God. Hey, hey, uh, what's up, Jesus? Uh, So... You know I got the extra check in the mail that I wasn't expecting and I know that I, I, know I could probably give it to somebody, but I also need new rims because I don't have 22s like Mo on his minivan. So I need something good, God. What do you think I should do? And, God, and God's just like, he does, and, I, and I wait, and I wait for about 30 seconds. And I don't hear anything specifically. So I'm like, all right, guess I'm getting 22s to kind of match up my boy. You know, I, I don't know what it, no. But don't, isn't that what we do? Like sometimes we kind of present two options to God and say, which one should I to- choose? But really, we just want to listen to ourselves, It's almost like a cop-out, like, oh yeah, I asked God. He didn't really speak, and so I just kind of chose. Our sin wants to silence God's voice because we're afraid that it's gonna be the harder option. Does that make sense? That's what our sin wants to silence God because we think, man, I don't want him to, to have me choose the harder option. And so press into prayer and listen to what God tells you, not what you wanna hear, not what's easier, but what he wants to Uh, to tell you and so man I think the best way some of you saying yeah I want I want to know what God wants for me I, I want to do that well how well God spoke to us in his beautiful word like this is exactly how if you want to know what God's calling you to you want to see what God's people do like read this thing love this there's beautiful stories in here and it might not be your exact situation but it's probably something fairly similar and so we can't, we won't be people that are confident of what God is inviting us to by just sitting in silence. Like, we can't just sift through our own thoughts. We need His Bible to direct us and us and guide us in every aspect of our lives. Now, how many people in your life can you recognize who they are um, just by the sound of their voice? It's probably the people that you've spent the most time with, right? Like, my wife can call me from a random number and at any time of the day or night, and she's She says one word, and I know it's my wife. Like, no questions about it, right? And so how do we get to know God's voice? It's through spending regular time with him in his word. Like, he's spoken to us in this. And so God's word doesn't contradict anything he would ever say to you. So as you think, man, God might be inviting me into this, stack it up and say, does the Bible agree with this? Is this what I would say is right? And let this inform you. Let this guide you. And let this motivate you. And so, City Light Church, can, can I challenge you this week to spend time with Jesus? Like, like turn your TV off, put your phone aside, open up your Bible, read for a little while, turn some Chris Tomlin on or something. I don't know what you listen to, but Caleb, whatever. And, and just, and just spend time with Jesus. And in that silence, as we listen, as we remember what he said, man, I, I'm confident that he's going to direct and guide in some capacity in your life. Um, but don't be so quick to think, man. You're probably not gonna hear the audible voice of God, but just press in and and see, man, what what has he said in his word? Notice in verse two that God says to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So God is having Hosea love a wife of whoredom so that Hosea would know how it feels to love an unfaithful wife. But why would God have Hosea do this? Well, because God wants Hosea to know how he feels when we, his people, run away. So God's people are turning away and worshiping him, worshiping false gods. So uh, look at chapter two, verse five. I read this to my wife before we go to bed. Uh, it says, uh, for their mother has played the horn. No, I'm just totally kidding. I don't do that. I love her. She's amazing. I read her John three sixteen before she goes to bed. Hey, uh, okay, so chapter five, I mean, chapter two, verse five. For the mother has played the whore. She, has conceived them, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. And then pop down to verse eight. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. God is using Gomer as an example of our unfaithfulness. Okay. So Gomer was running after her other lovers, thinking that it was them that provided all she had, when really it was God that gave her everything. And in the same way, Israel and us today have have started to worship the gift and not the giver. Right? We've been unfaithful to God. We've started to worship other things. We've, We've ran after our lovers and forgot the great love of God. And so we think these other things can offer us life and joy when really all they do is demand and take and ask for more. So God's purpose for inviting Hosea into something that wasn't easy was for Hosea to feel the heart of God. So God's saying, man, Hosea, when you experience the pain in your relationship, when you give everything you have to Gomer and more, and then she turns and runs away then, then you'll finally know how I feel when my people run away from me. And so I want to ask, man, does your heart break for the broken? Like, have you ever experienced what it feels like to love someone so purely and they just leave and abandon you? There are 30,000 college students in a couple mile radius, like I said. 30,000 people that are running after life and joy and happiness uh, that they, they won't fulfill, right? Like if you've ever been a college student, you know there's a pressure culturally to give into all those things, to party every week and to have one night stands and all these things. There's a pressure in it. So all these people that says, man, you want to be happy? You want to have a good college experience? Do that. Go there. Try this. And every single year, people commit suicide. Like, college students exert themselves, try all these different things, and they find, they find out that they're just empty. They said, man, I thought this was going to fulfill me. I thought this was going to give me what I needed, and it didn't, so there must be something wrong with me. Like, no one's going to miss me. I don't have any value. And so they take their life. And does that sit well with your heart's? Or does that break your heart and make you want to invite and love and share the gospel with college students? Like I said, there are 20,000 refugees in our city that most of them have never heard or had the chance to hear the gospel. The good news is that Jesus came to be our safe and perfect and free eternal refuge. There are marriages in this moment that are falling apart, children that are being abused, homeless people that live on the streets every single night, and anytime they ask for provision, they're looked at like they're shameful, and they're nothing, and they're worth nothing. Man, there are women right now that are probably being trafficked on I-80, and I just want to ask so clearly as a family, does that sit well with your heart? Like, are you okay with that, or does it break you? I can assure you that it breaks the father heart of God. And in his divine love, he would invite you and I into experiencing what it feels like to be broken over the lostness in this world. And I know, I know, it's far easier to sweep those things under the rug and act like they're not true, but they are. And God is inviting you and I into having a broken heart for what breaks his. And so I know it sounds like a dangerous prayer, but in your time with Jesus this week, man, would would you invite him to break your heart for what breaks his? To see the lost and to be broken, not just walk by them. And so point one, God God isn't inviting you into something easy. My second point is that God is inviting you into something worthy. God is inviting you into something worthy. So Hosea followed what God had for him. He married Gomer, and Gomer was unfaithful to him multiple times. And so Hosea goes before God, and I'm assuming, this is in chapter 3, I'm assuming God's going to be like, hey, dude, thanks for trying. She's a lost cause. Just move on. There's many more women. I've got a different mission for you, but he doesn't say that. So open your Bibles up to chapter 3, verse 1 in Hosea. And the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Go again, Hosea. Love a woman that that is pursued by other men. Pursue her, though she's running away from you. Love a woman that doesn't even love you. Go again, Hosea, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they are unfaithful and they turn to other gods. See, God just. God doesn't want you to just feel his love. He wants you to show it. God doesn't just want you to feel his heart and his love. He wants you to show it. And so let me be clear. In this story so far, we are far more like Gomer than we are like Hosea. We have fallen short. We've run after other gods. We've, um, we've taken the gift of God and forgot God himself, and yet he still loves us. We've worshipped other things, our houses, our GPAs, our status, our cars, our careers, our marriages, and we've forgotten about God. But see, the gospel says in Romans 5.8 that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. So God has a relentless, unconditional Hosea love for you and for me. And all throughout the Bible, God's people live this roller coaster life of faith. So they're, they're committed to God, they're excited about God, and then they forget, and then they just kind of, they forget, they start to worship other gods, they fall, they hit rock bottom, they think, okay, I need to worship God again. So they come back to God, commit themselves to God again, and then that's just a cycle that happens over and over and over again, mistake after mistake, and every single time, God forgives and God restores. Like he sees our unfaithfulness and he still remains faithful. So let me say this. God's forgiveness doesn't just say, I want to save you. It says, I want to use you for my glory. Like God tells Hosea to love unfaithful Gomer like God loves unfaithful Israel. So Hosea is to be a picture, an example of God's love. And what a privilege, right? That God would say, I want to use you to show people my love. And so I want to ask, do do you believe that God wants to use you to show people his his love and his glory? Like, do you you think about that? Or do you think, man, I don't know, God couldn't use me. Like, I've messed up too much. See, but for us to love like God, Hosea shows us there's a price to pay. So first, there's an emotional price. Notice, Hosea doesn't, or notice God doesn't just invite Hosea in to, be, uh, to be married to Gomer. In, verse, in chapter three, verse one, he says, I want you to love Hosea. So it's an emotional choice, not just a legal reality. And, and, and so he loves her, man. I, I imagine he probably took her out to Chipotle for lunch. He took her out to Froyo. They got some stuff. They went pumpkin patch. Like what, He did all that stuff with her, right? And uh, they didn't do that back in the day? I don't know, but... Uh, so he does all this stuff and then she still is unfaithful, right? And as I was thinking about this, I'm like, man, it'd be so much easier for Gomer to leave if Hosea didn't love her, right? Like it wouldn't be that hard for Gomer to leave if Hosea didn't love her, but he does. And so it's, it's heartbreaking. And man, for us today, God isn't just inviting you and to be around people or to do things. He's inviting you to actually love people. It's not just what you do, but do you actually love the people you're around? We're not called to be apathetic and have relationships at arm's distance. No, there should be a clear emotional price that we pay to love people. Second, there's a financial price. And so in Jewish culture, uh, you'd have to pay a dowry if you were going to marry a woman to her father. And so Hosea would have uh, undoubtedly paid the dowry to her father already to buy Gomer. And then then, uh, read in verse 2. Hosea goes on to say, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. So Gomer has hit such a low point that she's wound up um, enslaved and being sold. Like, and I can just imagine this scene, right? Like Hosea, the prophet, goes to places that righteous men weren't supposed to go to. And he asks around people he shouldn't talk to. And he finally finds out, man, oh, that's where Gomer's being sold. And so he comes to this place and he finally gets there and he sees her. And I'm just just picturing this, man, the woman that a few years ago he married, that was probably dressed in white and beautiful and pure, now is probably beaten up and stripped naked and being sold ashamed as a slave. How painful would that be? And the fact that he paid 15 shekels of silver and, 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 uh, and a homer and a lethic of barley would imply that he couldn't afford to pay for her just by his money. And so he went home, grabbed everything he had and just kind of laid it out and said, look, this is what I've got. I've got a uh, homer and I've got lethic of barley. Can, can I do that? And he said, okay. And so he goes and he buys her. He buys his unfaithful wife back. And how, like I said, amazing and painful would that be that he bought back the wife that was already his. So church, if you want to love people like God loves us, there's a financial price to be paid. You might have a lot of money, and it's really simple for You could go out and just pay the rent and utilities for a single mom and just say, hey, I want to help you out for this season of life. Or you might have no money at all, and you're trying to just make sure you survive. Um, But you could probably afford a sandwich with a homeless person this week or someone struggling. So I don't know what God's calling you into or what financial price he's asking you to pay, but I do know that God's love is generous and that we should be too. And lastly, there's a social price. We don't see this specifically arise in the text, but, but imagine uh, Hosea's friends, as he kind of seeks counsel and he looks around, like how, what they would have advised him to do. Man, Gomer, like she's, she's been around. Like, are you sure, bro? I've heard some stories that might not be a good idea. Are you sure there's more fish in the sea? Like, are you sure God said, Gomer, And then he marries uh, Gomer and, and things are going well, but then she starts to not come home at night and then she gets pregnant and imagine what the rumors are going around thinking, man, what is he doing? A man like that shouldn't be with a woman like that. And then she winds up enslaved. And I can just picture his friend saying, dude, what are you thinking? No way, man, don't fall back into that trap. She'll do the same exact thing. She'll fail. She'll fall back into it. Don't do it. And unmoved and unshaken by social pressure, Hosea pursues her still. He listens to God and says, God, I have trust in you. And he goes forward. And so what would that interaction be like as he walks up to her and people see? And he says, hey, let's, let's go home. Hanging around, hanging out around people that don't know Jesus will surely have a social price. Like hanging out with the least of these isn't in the handbook to rise up the, the social ladder. Praying for people on the street won't make you the cool, calm, collected person at work. And starting the spiritual conversations will probably never get you invited to the next party. Like there, if you want to love like God, there will be a social price that you have to count. So to represent God is not an easy task, but I can promise, church, it's worth it. Lives aren't normally changed when we live comfortably. It's when we step out in faith and trust God that we see God do a mighty, saving work. And so hear this, man. The Christian life shouldn't be marked by comfort and ease. It should be marked by trust and faith that God is calling us into a worthy but difficult work. And so the call in the Christian life is to live like Hosea. We've kind of established that And this is a humble and sacrificial investment to love people that don't deserve it and haven't earned it. But the only way we get there is to first realize that we're all Gomer. Like that's who we are in this story. We're Gomer and we've prostituted ourselves out. We've sold ourselves to something. It might look really good. It might look really bad. I don't care, but you've sold yourself to something in your sin and ended up being a slave and you're ashamed or embarrassed. We've all walked down that line in some way or form. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus knew that he would have to pay a price for you. And he did. He paid it in full church. Man, Jesus knew those prices and he paid it. He paid the emotional price. His closest disciple, Peter, turns and denies him. His, uh, Judas, his other disciple, betrays him. Thomas doubts him. And all of his friends, the people he poured into on the cross, leave Jesus and scatter. Jesus paid more than just a financial price. God couldn't just wave his divine hand over our sin and say, you're forgiven. There had to be a price paid for our sin. And 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 says, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In First Corinthians 6:20 says that you were bought with a price. So Jesus didn't just pay 15 shekels and some bread, He gave his life for you. And Jesus paid the social price. All throughout his life, people are asking, man, who is this Jesus that hangs out with tax collectors and drunkards and prostitutes and known sinners? He's, he's on trial and everyone's yelling, crucify him. Wait, they, they didn't like him. They didn't want him around. They, crucify Jesus. And as he's carrying the cross up the hill that he would be killed on, people are spitting on him and mocking him and making fun of him. How ungrateful are we? How undeserving are we? And so if you think that Hosea's love for Gomer was extravagant, I pray that you would see that Jesus' love for you is far more extravagant and rich and powerful and beautiful. You won't ever pay a price for anyone until you realize the price Jesus has paid for you. You won't ever purely love someone until you've seen how much Jesus lavishly loves you. God's Hosea love can transform Gomer's like you and I to love like Jesus. You can't love like Hosea until you've been loved like Gomer. We love because he first loved us. And so my invitation this morning isn't for you to do more, try harder, be better, my first and foremost call to you is to see what Jesus has done for you. And once you see all that he's done for you, our hearts are filled with gratitude enough that we'll put aside the easy and the comfortable and we'll embrace Jesus's call to live a worthy and difficult life. Amen?